0: Welcome to Follow Your Process. I'm your host, David Andres. On this podcast, we discuss business and life topics. We answer questions. We tell a whole lot of stories so that all viewers can achieve their desired outcomes sooner. This podcast, uh, I'm pleased to announce, is is sponsored by David Benegas Art. You can visit benegasartmerch.com, and David is known for taking a photograph and converting it into his form of art. You can commission David with any photograph you have, or you can buy his existing artwork. uh, And you notice that our logo is a piece of David Benegas art. In the coming months, I'll be in Miami for two weeks, uh, broadcasting live from the studio, as we exhibit and show how he follows his process uh, in making his art. On today's episode, I am so pleased and excited to have a long friend of mine, Bill Biamonte from South Creek. Welcome, Bill.
1: Pleasure to, pleasure to be here with you, Dave. It's very exciting.
0: Yes, yes. And uh, I'm gonna give a little history. Bill and I met in 2013 when he did an application to the Clean Tech Open, which is a national contest of, of young entrepreneurs that goes into the Clean Tech Open. And it's a contest over a number of months Uh, And each region then has a winner, and the regional winners go to the national, and then they select a a national winner of the business. And each of these entrepreneurs needed some assistance from various people in business. And I volunteered myself as a business development generalist. Uh, There was attorneys involved, accountants, uh, invention, uh, technical IP people. And we all got together at a social, and we had some hors d'oeuvres and cocktails, and uh, all of the, 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 the owners in the room knew of our bios. They'd seen what, who we were, what we did. And I was approached by Bill Biamonte And he said, Dave, I'd like to have you on my team. So I said, yeah, no problem, Bill. What do you got? Um, and so we ended up spending um, six, eight months, two, three, four hours a week. We joined forces with a number of other wonderful people we're still friends with. And that was back in 2013. And I'm, I'm pleased to say that Bill came in second in New York. Uh, we did not win the championship, but we did get some second-place recognition. So, Bill, maybe you can share a few words about, about that process, how you joined the Clean Tech Open, and, and what your experience was.
1: Well, I, after we um, did the technology transfer agreement with Brookhaven National Laboratory, one of the things that they suggested to us that there was a clean energy business incubator out of Stony Brook University on Long Island. And there's a great guy that leads that, um, his name is Dave Hamilton, and he has um, a couple of really good staff members that are really, really supportive and helpful. And they've been a tremendous help for all the startups they work with. So they they suggested to us the Clean Tech Open, and I applied, and they accepted me right away. So I thought it was a good opportunity. We were very early in our working. You know, We were taking something out of a national laboratory. And working on the commercialization part of it. So we, we, we weren't as far along as other people in the Cleantech Open, but you know we, we, did, we did fairly well and we generated a lot of buzz and a lot of interest.
0: Yeah, and the beauty of the Cleantech Open is they don't care what stage you're at. They'll accept you at any stage. And I was excited about your project because you were at such a young stage, and that's seven years ago. And we're gonna talk about this a little bit later, Um, but it's been a seven year slog through the dirt and grinding and making sausage. Um, it's not just the idea of green sulfur concrete, which is amazing. We're going to get into that. Um, but it has more to do with the hard work and, and the milestones. And I'm going to let you talk about that a little bit later. Um, what I'm going to do now is share my screen and we're going to watch a two and a half minute video where Bill introduces Uh, his entire project. So uh, bear with me. I'm going to share the screen. And we are going to... Here we go. Oh, I'm at the end of the video. I'm not technically adept. Hold on. Now we have evidence of how... Here we go.
1: And my name is William Viamante. I'm the CEO and co-founder of a clean energy startup called Green Sulfcrete. Green Sulfcrete is commercializing a next generation sulfur polymer concrete technology at a Brookhaven National Laboratory. The technology upcycles byproduct materials from the oil and gas industry and energy plants into a superior strength, low carbon, waterless alternative to Portland cement that is highly resistant to acid, salt, and chemical attacks. The customer problem we are addressing is the cement industry and the concrete industry is under siege from government regulation for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. The problem, you make one ton of Portland cement and you release one ton of carbon into the atmosphere. It is 5% of the world's greenhouse gases. They also use tremendous amounts of water in the production and they are looking to extend the life cycle of their material for greater sustainability. Sulfcrete is different and we can manufacture an alternative to Portland cement that is 90% less carbon emissions and is totally waterless in production, has twice the compression strength. And for the first time ever, this sulfur polymer concrete can be made in economic parity with Portland cement. Our business model is, is we're going to need to sell this product either as a precast material or as a by the yard for paving. We expect to have a pilot scale plant up within the next six months and a full commercial plant in 12 to 18 months. Our IP is strong. We have eight patents, American and international. Three have been approved and five are pending. These are patents out of Brookhaven National Laboratory that we have licensed and exclusive use of. We have a National Science Foundation phase one award SBIR and we are working with Brookhaven National Laboratory and Stony Brook University on that award. Our customers and prospects are any concrete and precast manufacturers and their customers would be it government or corporations. Our ma- marketing distribution is we are going to scale to commercial production plant and then joint venture or sub license nationally, internationally with precast manufacturers. Our distribution chains are oil and gas refineries and energy plants that will supply us the byproducts, materials and precast concrete manufacturers throughout the world. You look at the bottom picture, that is a road in uh, Tanzikagistan that was laid out by the Brookhaven National Laboratory team in minus 20 degrees Celsius temperature. They were able to use this uh, material where Portland cement and Portland concrete cannot be used because there is nothing to freeze. It's a waterless process that cures by cooling. So the applications are, are huge. The is a uh, 90% carbon reduction, uses zero water in production, twice as strong as Portland cement, and for the first time can be manufactured in economic parity with Portland cement.
0: So, my goodness, what a great summary, and I think you remember back to when you had to say all that and practice all that. Uh, how long ago was that?
1: I think it was 15. I'm not sure. Okay. Sure.
0: Yeah, because you'd already gotten your grant. And um, uh, so so what's amazing about this is it doesn't use water. So it saves a tremendous amount of water, which everyone wants to save water. And um, it was a 93% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions from Correct. making it. Correct. Wow.
1: Compared to Portland cement. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it, it's a game changer for sure. And, you know, I have some history and some game changing ideas um, that always are met with tremendous struggle and challenge because it's what you don't know and it's whose Wheaties you're stepping into that end up causing some significant resistance. Um, talk a little bit about what your pain points have been, what, where you had an expectation to do something sooner than it happened, and you're a pretty even keel kind of guy. Um, I mean, your day job is in politics in Nassau County, so you under government, 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 government. government yes uh government administrator in Nassau County. So you know about ideas not happening, shifting gears, going in another direction. Talk a little bit about to other business owners watching this, you know, what it's been like.
1: Well, I mean, the challenges right off the bat was we, we were trying to rule out this technology, basically our own capital. So that was a challenge right off the bat. And it was, you know, we, and we've we've held on and we've done, you know, we've survived and we've, you know, had some victories. so. I think the biggest pain point in terms of going to commercialization is that when we were looking for fundraising, you know, basically a series A and C capital, we always got an incredibly positive response from investors and family office, stuff like that. It was like, this is amazing. You're going to make so much money. This is great. But it's not in our wheelhouse. We, you know, we do medical devices or we do this, you know, and we don't know how it's, you know. We don't know how we would supervise this, this commercialization and working with you. So finding the right investor that got, you know, I mean, when we spoke with clean um, tech, uh, green energy investors, they didn't see this. So at least they didn't get it. You know, they, they saw, you know, battery technology and carbon sequestration and, uh, you know, solar and wind. That, that was, you know, that's how they looked at clean energy. When I said, this is a product. That's super sustainable, has multiple life cycles, you know, massive carbon reduction, massive energy reduction. They didn't, they couldn't make that, they couldn't make that leap, and that's been our biggest, our biggest obstacle: is finding the right investor.
0: That yeah. can say,
1: hey, I get what you're saying. Yeah. You
0: know? Yeah. So one of the other things that comes to my mind: have you had any interest from an end user saying, "Hey, I'd really like to get some of that to use in my ways." Oh, price-
1: We've had, we've had, you know, we've had conversations with Caltrans out in California. They Mm -hmm. said that once we were ready to go and we were up in commercial production, they would enter into pilot plant agreements with us. Lawrence Mm -hmm. Berkeley National Laboratory out in, um, in, uh, California was interest. We had, we had, um, interest from a major precast manufacturer on Long Island that wanted to work with us on, uh getting product out there and getting it spec and certified. And they already do a lot of business with yeah. uh, state and, and, uh, and uh, you know, New York, New Jersey, MTA, big eight, Con Edison, big, big outfits like that. They do a lot of work with them. And, you know, each, I think that's going to be the easy part because each right. agency like Caltrans or New York, New York, uh, DOT, or new, York, new Jersey, MTA, they have what's known as a new materials division. Well, you bring them a product. Say, "Okay, here, I got a new jersey divider, right? And it's to be better than anything. It's twice as strong as anything you have. It's you know, it uses less less rebar, zero water. It's a major carbon reduction. It can be easily repaired if it's ever damaged. You know, and okay, so take it, and they would take it and just go to town with it. They'd free store it. They'd age it. They, you know, do everything they could to it to try to see if the product would hold up." And that's that's an ongoing process. So that's the second step after we roll out our commercial plant. Yeah,
0: Got it. Got it. So are, are these plants mobile? Could, could you create a mobile plant that move from site to site? Maybe. Absolutely.
1: We can absolutely create a, create a plant like that. And that's one of the conversations that we have. You know, the way we spec it, it could probably fit in one, maybe two tractor trailers that we could
0: just easily so, could you bring that to a particular job site so that the actual manufacturing plant was at the actual job site, which right. would also reduce the carbon footprint of the site because you're not driving the you're not driving the trucks down the road to bring it.
1: Right. Correct. Nice. Correct. You know, like when conventional, you know, uh, precast manufacturers or road pavers, they have a process. They they brings. Portland cement in from somewhere, they don't manufacture it. So that's a huge travel, you know, a lot of Portland cement yeah. coming yeah. from Canada right now. So you have a major carbon footprint there. And then they mix it up and they heat it, you know, they, they mix it up and, and aggregate and they create cement, uh, create, take the cement and create concrete with it. What we do in our process, we take some byproduct materials from oil and gas refinement and other technologies Basically, sulfur fly ash and organic modifier and some sand, and we create sulfur polymer cement. And it's wow. we actually can do it right then and there. And the sulfur polymer cement is so strong in cement form, mortar form, without any strong aggregates. It's 9,000 psi, which is off the chart. Wow you add some good aggregate to it, you're looking at about a 30% increase. So this is material that's super strong. So
0: you're so not we, using any Portland cement in the product? Zero. Zero. I mean, Portland cement, the, you're, you're beneficially reusing a waste product as well. Right, right. And
1: it's one thing that we're very, we're very excited about. I, I've read a lot of material on, you know, the whole thing, concept called cradle to cradle, it's no. upcycling, it's, um, Jim McDonough. And he has like two definitions for upcycling. Upcycling, you know, recycling is you take some old tires and you transport them, you put them through a shredder and you make garden mulch with it. That's what recycling is. You take a a material and, and really add no value to it. What upcycling does is you, it has two definitions. You do something to it, you take a waste material and make it inherently more valuable or you take a waste material and you bring a societal benefit from upcycling that material. Solcrete does both of those. We take a waste material, creates the value tremendously and brings societal benefit because we have a low impact manufacturing, zero water, uh, near zero carbon. It's going to be recyclable and reusable over and over again. And it's going to last, last almost forever.
0: Right. So that's amazing. You know, can you talk a little bit about the history of how this all got started? I think back in the Vietnam War when they were trying to do the same thing with DOD. Yeah, yeah going, back,
1: going back to the uh, Roman days, they would make Ooh. sulfur concrete. And what they would do was they would melt sulfur mm-hmm. and they would let it harden and it was like a hard material. But what they, And they would use it to fill gaps and stuff like that over their stones. But going back to uh, the Vietnam War, what the army was doing they were hauling around big hundred pound bags of pure elemental sulfur. Mm. And cause the sulfur had a low melting temperature and they would start like a fire in a jungle and they would melt some bags down and make a makeshift helicopter pad right there in the jungle, you know, which is, you know, mm. cause you know, the jungle is soft, it's moist. It's not a perfect place to be landing a helicopter. Yeah. Or, or they use it for medical evacuation. The problem that they had was that pure elemental sulfur? When it went from a liquid back to a solid, it went in back in stages. Mm. And in the last several stages, it crystallized. So what they had was a very hard material, but it, the crystallization it couldn't take hard impacts. And it, was it wasn't brittle. wasn't yeah. brittle. It wasn't brittle to the touch. But a helicopter land on it the wrong way, it's going to compromise it right away. Wow. So the army turned around and said to the U.S. Department of Interior, and specifically the U.S. Bureau of Mines, find a way to make this work. So they spent years and a lot of money, and what they were able to do, the scientists at, at the U.S. Bureau of Mines, they were able to find a way to modify that chain reaction, and that's the key word of this technology, the modifier. They were able to add a highly reactive material called dicyclopentadyne, I'm going to call it DCPD from going forward, DCPD. And what that allowed was the sulfur returned from a liquid to a solid in one phase without crystallizing. Wow. A thermoplastic reaction. So what happened was when it polymerized, it grabbed everything around it, made this super strong material that they found had these incredible properties that, you know, very low permeability, which means water wouldn't absorb into it and nothing would leach out of it. It had incredible freeze-thaw resistance. It was super, twice as strong as regular concrete and in terms of, of across the board, you know, compression, textile, flexural, everything else. Um, and it was great. I mean, there have been literally, uh, I have a banker box when I was looking at this technology. There's been, I don't know how many different government papers, industry papers, academic papers on the value and the, and the performance high performance, of sulfur. No. So, um, so, so
0: listen, I know many people watching are going to be very curious. I'd like to ask you to email me the links to the two upcycling, the, the two concepts of upcycling, and also to any any technical paper you might have. And I'll post those on, on Follow Your Process uh, as links so that people can read those. Why don't yeah. you transition into how did Brookhaven get their hands on the stuff? And then there's a great story there, I think.
1: That's my next sentence coming up, okay? So fast, so wait, 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 let me step back one second. So the problem that they had, it had this, it was this incredible material they developed. It was high-performance properties. The problem they had was the modifier was super expensive. It was hard uh-huh. to come by and very expensive. I think Bicyclopentadine costs about $4,000 a ton right now. Wow. So to, you would only use 2% of it in your mixture. So you would add about you know eighty dollars to um, I mean yeah about eighty dollars to the cost of your material, and you know in terms of your material cost that's a lot you know that's that's you know almost more than doubling the material cost of uh, the concrete material. So it, it, it didn't have the ability to to scale into a wide market. It was used for specific niche applications. It was used successfully, and there have been papers written about it. It was used for factory floors where harsh chemicals and acids, nasty materials were being used or holding tanks for those materials or septic applications where, you know, harsh, corrosive environments, you know. Um, It's never really scaled beyond that. So we fast forward now. Brookhaven National Laboratory about 15 years ago was charged by the U.S. Department of Energy to find a way to safely and, and cheaply encapsulate low-level radioactive mercury, which is probably one of the worst materials you want to deal with. And so they were looking at materials that were highly impermeable because they were, you know, they encapsulated, it, it's wet, it could leach, and then you're back in the ballgame. Um, so they looked, one of the things they looked at was sulfur polymer because of its low permeability. They made some sulfur polymer using the di- DCPD, and they found lo and, behold, lo and behold, it was an incredible capsulator. That when the sulfur polymerizer grabbed the mercury and it held it, and even if you cracked the concrete, the mercury stayed encapsulated. Wow. But they knew it was a non starter because of the cost of the materials. So, what the Brookhaven science did and, uh, scientists did, and, and the, main, the main scientist, guy named Paul Cobb, was brilliant, brilliant scientist. He w- was able to find a new process where they took a waste material. An end cycle material from oil and gas refining. In other words, they go through different cycles when you when you sure. find oil and gas, and this is like an end, end cycle material that really has no commercial value. Um, but they were able to take that material and through a pre- pre-treatment and energetic mixing process, got that material to react like dicyclopentadiene. So what they were able to do with them was they able to create a superior strength sulfur polymer. That was better than the prior rod it's stronger it's 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 a much better material at a fraction of the cost by using another waste material the end cycle and cycle oil that they, they use so um that's that's really the transformative breakthrough because not only it's cheaper it's better than the prior rod and it's going to outperform portland uh, so the
0: main thing here is that you're telling the story is and i really appreciate you sharing that and i'm sure the viewers appreciate it as well is it every time you have an idea and you think you figured it out and then you're hit with another roadblock, you're hit with a, with an obstacle, if you simply embrace it and keep believing you can, hmm. and you keep trying different things, you, you could potentially discover the solution to your obstacle, but also something that's even better. Right? So, so you, you definitely demonstrate that um, in, in this story. And um it's such an honor and privilege to have you on the show, episode four here. Uh, most people think that we're going to talk about something in toilets again. But uh, here we are with my good friend, Bill Biamonte, uh, looking into my past, his past. Um, so um, you were also in government administration in Nassau County for many, many years. Right. What's interesting about that is here we have a, a typical, not typical, maybe not typical, but a government official that I think many people would stereotype into just being a government official and, you know, Nassau County appreciates your, your service and and you've done many things and, you know, many politicians or whatever. But here you are. Talk about that spark of entrepreneurship where you said, you know what, I think I can do this. And then how you went and got a hold of Brookhaven and how you got to the position where you are now. Sure. Well, um,
1: I have a longtime um, friendship with the former governor of California, Jerry Brown. And when he became uh-huh. governor again, um, through... Um, His contacts, I met an incredible gentleman by the name of Art Rosenfeld. Art Rosenfeld was a uh, professor at um, Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory, and he is considered the father of energy efficiency in the modern world. I know that's a big statement, but if you really look him up, that's who he is. He is the godfather, the founder of the concept of energy efficiency in the modern world. Art has since passed away. But I spent a lot of time with him and talking about opportunities. And I saw what California was doing with their AB 32, you know, climate change initiatives. Yeah. And I, I I had helped somebody with another technology and I was able to successfully help them. And I really found it to be fun. So I, I, was, I found that the, the networking and the governmental reach, in other words, I was able to figure out who I need to see and how I need to get to see them and make it happen. Nice. And that came out of my, out of my years in, in government. So that gave me an entrepreneurial skill that was very, very helpful. You and basically
0: up- upcycled your relationships. You basically yeah. upcycled them. <laughs>
1: well, create, create a lot more relationships too. Yes, yes. Um, so I saw a huge opportunity there. I was flipping channels one day, and I saw on C-SPAN that the Energy Secretary, Stephen Chu, was talking about a Startup America initiative, in which he was directing the national laboratories to identify technologies that could be licensed to entrepreneurs to commercialize to start new businesses, mainly in the clean energy field. So I went on a couple of portals, and it was you know they were they were basically scientific abstracts. I was like, what does this even mean? You know, Tough to read, um, yes. so a good friend of mine. We uh, reached out to Brookhaven, the technology office invited us in, and they started describing different technologies. They had some solar, some battery, and and it all sounded interesting. Then they mentioned sulfur concrete. And I I admit, I wasn't aware how high impact uh, cement production was in this country. You know, for every ton cement you make, you put a ton of carbon in the atmosphere. It's as bad as it gets. and when I learned what the issue was and I learned that there was a prior rot and this was an improvement, I took that material they gave me and then I went on a tear and spent several weeks. And there's been a couple of books written about sulfur polymer concrete, too. I ordered those books, burnt through them, and I went back there and I had 20 pages of questions for them. And I sat down with the scientists and the tech transfer team, went through everything and answered the question. and They asked, answered the questions and I said, we're in. Let's do this. And that's wow. where we are. Look at that. We optioned the technology. We had the option for about a year and a half, and then we entered into a full technology transfer agreement with them.
0: So, you know, one of my favorite influences, Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V, a lot of people know him, and he talks about clouds and dirt, right? And the idea is a cloud idea for sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's just amazing, Right. Uh, but the dirt is the grinding, buying the books, reading everything, going on a tear. You basically binge the topic right. in your spare time, couldn't stop reading it. And we all need to do that. If, we, if we're in a startup and we're doing something, you must binge what it is you're doing. Like there's no tomorrow, like your life depends on it. And what that does is, yeah, go ahead.
1: I've always, I've always approached things. I, I learned a long time ago, someone told me this and to be true the only power we have in our lives as human beings is the power of our word mm. and if we declare ourselves i'm going to commercialize soul career or, i'm going to do this i'm going to do that if every if every act thing and action that we do from that point forward is not in harmony and in in concert with that then we're not we're not right. real we're
0: but just that that and uh, so yeah. and, and i and do something i'm all in yes. Gary talks about being 16 years old, working in his dad's liquor store, and he worked there for at least 15 or 16 years. He didn't own it. He got paid 30, 40, 50,000 dollars max, right? He didn't go on vacation, he didn't buy a watch, he didn't buy a car. He, he saved his money, right? And then he left after 16 years, with no equity, didn't own anything. He'd grown it from three to 60. So he does have some you know he did wine, library, TV and everything else. But then he started on his own at that point. And then took, you know, his investments and did whatever and then has recreated himself again. So um, he talks about this and I, I feel the same way. It's actually the grind and the hunt that I get the most satisfaction mm-hmm. out of. It is, it is not. Uh, yes. Do you want to achieve certain goals and the milestones and get a grant? I'm sure it was great that day. when you got the one point one million dollar grant and you received 1. it. 2. One point two. Sorry for that other hundred. Um, and, and then and then that was a good accomplishment. But then you know what it was the next day? right back to work. Yeah. you got to go right back to work and grind. Um, and I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm really thankful that you and I have reconnected recently. Um, you know, um, maybe tell a good Jerry Brown story, political stuff like that. You've told me so many great stories about Jerry over the years. Um, if you got to, sure. sure this is the
1: right, right place for it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, then we, we, we can wait on that. We can wait on that.
1: All I can tell you is he's probably, he's been a mentor of mine and uh one thing I can tell you about Jerry Brown, every time, even when I was growing up, when he was first governor uh, in the 70s, what I found fascinating is every time I read anything about him, I always learned something new. Mm. And what I found, too, was I would read about him in a magazine and he'd be talking about a topic, an issue. And six months later, that issue would blow up and become a major issue in the country, in the real world. And he had most incredible foresight of being able to see the long range of, of issues. And, and again, one of his main things is climate change. I mean, he was, he was him and Rosenfeld were one of the main, you know, Rosenfeld and Brown together as a team, him as the governor and Rosenfeld with the concept of energy efficiency. Brown was the one who actually put that in place in California. So any all these high energy standards, you know, California, um, per capita, if you look at its energy use, it's flatlined for the last 20 years, whereas every other state has gone up in a curve. And there's a scientific definition for that phenomenon, it's called the Rosenfeld effect. And when, wow. when Jerry and Art were together, they, they, they're they the ones that said, okay, you know, refrigerators in California have to be 25% more efficient, have to weigh less, they have to last longer, and uh, you know, and that became, you know, the goal, the energy star standards and everything else that left California, spread across the country and spread across the world.
0: Wow. Yeah, I just re- recently ran across a new law, I think Newsom passed, where you have to take 75 percent of the organics that are going into the landfill right now and you have to get them out of the landfill. Right. So whether it's food waste or yard waste, anything organic, because the organic stuff in a landfill creates methane as it digests, right. which then they have to manage the methane. And, it, and so there, it, it's a greenhouse carbon reduction initiative to say to the garbage industry, "You have to get the organics out of the waste stream." And um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Um,
1: oh, interesting with that too, because it's a little bit different from, from from organics. one of the one of the uh, benefits of Sulfcrete is you take conventional Portland concrete, and say you lay out a parking lot at a target or whatever. And something goes wrong or something, there's a problem with it, and they jackhammer it and it's no. going to a landfill. Salt, I, because it's you know, it's cured, it's it's solid, you nothing to, no. Maybe you could break it break it up and make some cheap aggregate out of it. Sulfcrete, we could take this material, jackhammer it up, put it in a truck, bring it back to our plant, melt no. it down and reuse it over and over no. again. So that ninety three percent carbon emission reduction is repeated and repeated right. and
0: repeated. Yeah? And you can pour it in the cold of winter, right? You can put right. it in a in a right. mixer truck that's heated, and you can deliver it and pour it in right. just about any cold temperature.
1: Right, any cold temperature. I think it goes up to about 40, 40 below Celsius. So it's that's really cold. And you know, you we've been talking to some people in the Middle East. You know, their 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 most expensive cost is water when they're mm-hmm. doing projects because water is scarce there. Sure. And when they say they do a walkway or they do a, uh, you know, a, a retender in front of a building or something like that, yep. you know, it's so hot there. They got to sit there and have water constantly spraying on this thing. Wow. Just so, it, you know, the top doesn't cure so much faster than the bottom. Right. right. We can go to the hottest part in the world or the coldest part of the world and lay this out any, t- any day of the week, any time of the year. And it cures by cooling. There's no water. Wow. So you wouldn't use water to make it. You wouldn't use water to apply it. And the coldest temperature, it's going to be fine. It's going to cure as a solid piece.
0: So, you know, I say this all the time. All I want is an invitation to the after party of the ribbon cutting ceremony. Right? All right. You got so, it. So as long as I can get on that list, I'll show up wherever that ribbon cutting ceremony is. Um and uh, congratulate you. I'll probably take a selfie, too. Everyone knows I take selfies. Um, But let's talk a little bit about what you need now moving forward from where you are today. Um, I think you said you have two plants, one's on some Caribbean island, and then the other one's in Queens or something. We have talk.
1: two plants proposed. Propose.
0: Okay. Well, does it look like moving forward? Like, if you looked out six months or a year, what would be – desired outcome you would want to accomplish and how do you how are you imagining getting there
1: well i mean there's a lot of interest and uh, from you know users and uh sulfur producers and you know we've had i've had sat across the table from somebody and said listen i love this i'm not going to build your first plant. you got to build your first plant. i'll finance the next 30 once you're going so i think the the big leap is going to be when we're actually have a plant up and running we're actually manufacturing products that can be spec and um and, and treated
0: so from, from from today if you had the right guy that gave you all the money how long would it take to order that equipment site it get it done up and now producing how long it'd matter, would that take it'd be a matter of months okay so a couple months right. go ahead okay and then a, a particular plant produces how many tons of this a day i don't understand how to size a a plant is it? Is it cubic yards or is it tons a day? How, how does it work?
1: Well, I mean, you know, you know it's one and the same. It's just a different measurement. Um, but you know, the, we had a, a huge um, asphalt equipment manufacturer. They were working with us along with Brookhaven and a uh, commercial partner we had on Long Island, and they designed mm-hmm. us a really full scale plant. That could okay. keep incredible amounts of material it's like a double barrel mixture okay. yeah you know, incredible and they use they designed the plant using existing asphalt and concrete equipment that already exists that's, that could be slightly modified for our use so for us to build a plant there is no technology leap that has to be
0: made okay, so, so so you it's already off the shelf stuff that's there slightly modified yeah, slightly modified, but that's the secret sauce that you guys do, uh, whatever. So so that means that equipment's readily available, right. new or used. Um, and then how much How much is that plant you're imagining? And we don't know the size of the equipment, whatever. Is it a million? Is it five million? Is it 20 million? Like well, what is plant? It?
1: The full-scale plant, I think the full-scale. The, the full-scale plant, the equipment costs were about $1.7 million. And they told us, they told us that if when you build a plan, you should at a minimum double the cost for everything. Everything else that comes yes, with it. Yes,
0: yes. We were figuring, you know, three and a half to four million dollars for a full okay.
1: operational plant. You know.
0: I got you. And then, from a from a cost of goods or whatever, has anyone given you any feedback that what they would sell it to the end user for is competitive to Portland? Oh yeah, I mean, like you know, precast material on
1: on Long Island sells for anywhere from like 600 to a thousand dollars plus per yard you know um so you know high-end products you know superior strength you know products can go for a good price and you know you're gonna last everything else so the economics of the products don't work when i mean they do i'm sorry do work when we we sat down and we figured a semi-high price for sulfur or what we'd have to pay because when you're in the concrete business your main cost is your labor that stays right. constant your next cost is your overhead your insurance your electricity your, you know the whole you know your your physical plant no. and everything else and the next plant is the material cost of the uh, of, of actually making the product so we figured a decent sized price for sulfur we have uh, fly ash which is readily available sure. and we have and what's interesting about it, it's not you know regular comportment cement makers use coal-fired fly ash we we can use coal-fired fly ash we can also use municipal solid waste incineration fly ash we could use biomass fly ash it's there is no pozolonic reaction so we're not we're not hindered by Uh, Use for uh, fly
0: ash, and And then talk about fly ash. Just let some of the novices know what fly ash is, just for some people that don't know.
1: Well, fly ash is when you have, you know, when you when you make cement, they use twenty seven hundred degree kilns, and they, you know, and they're like Vegas; they never close. You have twenty seven hundred degrees; you're not turning it off and coming back the next morning, Mm starting again. It's it's constantly burning, Um, and they basically burn mainly they burn coal some of them use oil and other fossil fuels and they heat up um giant pieces of limestone to the point they're ready to melt and then they grind them into a calcination that process gives you the one-to-one you know carbon emission you know yes. one ton produce one ton but at the end product that you have um bottom ash and fly ash Fly ash is like very white you know it floats in the air by itself and it's probably the most toxic of all the materials too and um but it's a very very tiny material that's good for our process and what's good about it is once our product is made the fly ash is encapsulated nice be nowhere because we have almost zero
0: permeability so the product's not going to absorb water so nothing's going to how leak how at it the permeability of regular concrete what's the permeability of regular concrete
1: oh regular concrete absorbs water so if you right. take regular concrete and put it in a container of water and then come back the next day and weigh it, it's going to weigh you know Significantly more. You can put our stuff in water and come back a year later, and it's going to weigh exactly the way you left it. Talk about acid acid resistance. Like when you right, you do- know, right. concrete. You know, one of the biggest applications of concrete is replacing existing concrete. You know, concrete <laughs> gets destroyed by what? It gets destroyed by chemicals, acids, and salts. So if we have, you know, we have, um, you know, a uh, Concrete product for curbs, and then when that salting all all went along, that concrete's slowly being destroyed and needed. It won't affect us at all, and we feel that one of the one of the best applications for this is the idea of climate resilience um, projects for governments and cities wow. and nations. Yes, where you know, major cities and major countries are basically investing in climate resilience, where they're. Building, they're protecting their uh, already built world from storm surges and and climate. Wow. And what they do is they're making seawalls, they're making piers, ports, bulkheads, try to hold back that water. You know, the biggest out, uh, the biggest firms in, in out of um, the Dutch have these engineering firms. They have a thousand-year history of holding water backs. So they're doing they're doing um, major yeah. projects in New York City and other cities. So, this material. So- was- This material is resistant to salt water. It can sit in salt water forever and not get destroyed.
0: I need to introduce you to my good friend Mark Brewer at 2020 Engineering, and this is a shameless plug for him. Mark is – I work at Santa Tracks, you know, the freshwater flushing vacuum toilets for Live Nation, et cetera. But Mark is our civil engineer and has worked with Live Nation to get them –